Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our guest for today is the CEO and principal of The Stream Group. He is a multifamily real estate investor operating in Columbus, Ohio. And he also used to work as a firefighter for 22 years, here to discuss how strategic partnerships help the business to grow and their journey of vertical integration. Please welcome Seth Teagle. All right. Today, we've got Seth Teagle on with us. Seth is the CEO and principal of the Stream Group. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Do you want to start off by just telling us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got started in the business? Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you guys and to your listeners. Hopefully I can provide some value here and make it worth it. So the Stream Group is a company, we syndicate apartment complexes. We usually do 506B is primarily what we do. And then we're vertically integrated. So it just means that we manage all of the properties for the most part and do all the construction and renovation to any property we have here in Central Ohio. How I got started in real estate, originally from North Dakota, and I moved to Florida in 2000, and I was there for about eight years. I got into the fire service while I was down there, right out of high school, and loved it. I did 22 years. I was down there, worked through several large hurricanes, saw lots of death and destruction and all the crazy things that you see on TV that, you know, not all firefighters see that stuff, but we got to see some pretty crazy stuff. And 08, I, I got married, or I had met my wife, wanted after seeing those things and experiencing the hurricanes, I said, well, I'm not from here. I really don't want to live down here anymore. I'd rather vacation. So we looked for an alternative on where we wanted to move to. Her dad was living in central Ohio and she would not go to North Dakota, which was fine by me because it's freezing there. And not a lot of people, I think they move away and never go back, but we moved to Columbus, Ohio, and we've been here since 08. I was in the fire service up until this year, actually. But in 2012, I kind of got, we had our first child I had just been working a ton, was getting burned out, was trying to figure out another way for me to create income when I was not at the firehouse and reconnected with a gentleman I went to college with. When I reconnected with him through social media, I realized he was a multimillionaire, real estate investor, wholesaler, house flipper, had an education program going even back then, teaching people on how to scale and kind of learn his system and program and how he was doing what he was doing. I reached out to him and he was probably, he was really my first mentor in real estate and helped me get started. And I worked for a gentleman for about a year here, which again, this is a, sh- a short version. Uh, and then I went into my first apartment complex, which was a 50 unit and just grown since then. Awesome. About how long ago was that? So 2012, I reconnected with Matt. And then uh, I'd say probably 2012 into 2013, I worked for a gentleman doing his, I was managing his flip. So kind of being a project manager and then managing his rental portfolio of about 20 to 25 doors and realized through that year of, I was basically trading my time for experience and kind of getting on the job training. I knew that if I was going to become a real estate investor or at least get into investing, that my first deal was going to have to be a home run. And I did not have a ton of capital to put up or what I did. It had to be a winner. 
And so I took the experience that I learned working with that gentleman and yeah, went out and bought the biggest thing that I could afford or find and went from there. That's awesome. Yeah. So 50 units. So it, I mean, starting out at 50 is, that's pretty yeah. ambitious. I wouldn't advise and- it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of lessons learned in that one. But I mean, it sounded like it worked out. So, I mean, how did you arrive at, okay, this is the one, this 50 unit apartment complex and what was the state that it was in? And Yeah. So, yeah, just- well, really what I, you know, I got into real estate thinking I needed passive income or I wanted some kind of secondary means of income. The year that I was kind of had my back against the wall or was in a desperate position, I had worked a thousand hours of overtime that year. I was having a child or we had had a child, you know, my paycheck wasn't stretching as far as it once did, you know, and I made pretty good money, but it just still wasn't keeping up with inflation. It wasn't keeping up with what was going on in my household. And, you know, I was just, well, what do you do? I had worked six months that year at the firehouse day and night when it was all said and done. Like at the end of the year, my wife and I kind of like looked back over that year and kind of did an autopsy on like, why are we both crabby? And why are we, am I tired all the time? And why am I just kind of a miserable person to be around. And that's what we, I realized finally was like, man, I worked a ton and you know, you're not sleeping even when you're at the station and you got to come home and I had a baby and I'm not sleeping then. And, you know, just a lot of things. And so I found, you know, just kind of happened to stumble upon Matt, you know, he really kind of helped guide me in the early years. And then when I worked for Steve for that year, trading time for experience, I realized that flipping houses was another job and managing property was tough when you were like a one man band. And he had scattered site rentals. So it was a bunch of, you know, like duplexes. He had an eight unit, but then everything else was all single family. And I realized during that year that there was no systems. It was very hard to scale the way he was doing it. He had, you know, it wasn't the same flooring in every unit. It wasn't the same paint. It wasn't the same layout. It wasn't, you know, all these different things. And so it ate up a ton of my time trying to figure that out. So I realized I didn't want to do the smaller stuff where, you know, I'd always listened to podcasts back then and said, Everybody that was doing, you know, four units, six units, eight units, 10 units, whatever it was, they always talked about how much easier it was having more doors under one roof and how you could just scale and, and systematize it much easier. And I thought, well, I have a career and I'm trying to find something that's going to be complementary to that career. And the only way it's going to be passive is if I go bigger and then I can have a management company run it or, you know, do some type of construction renovation. My original plan was that I would do the work. So I had a construction background, was fairly skilled in doing some of the stuff, installing flooring, changing outlets, painting, you know, installing cabinets. Like I could do that stuff. But then I was like, you know, if I really want to make this thing make money, because again, his cash flow monthly wasn't that much on 20 units. I was like, how do I really make an impact or create an impact for my life and for my family? So I said, okay, I got to go bigger. I really dove into apartments and the cap rates and understanding that I bring income and all the different things that go along with owning commercial real estate. And I thought, man, that really seems like if you execute it correctly, it can be life-changing. So, but the issue I had then is I didn't have the money, right? So I had a great idea, but how do I get into this thing? And the only money that I had was equity in my home. So I did a HELOC on my house. And then I went to another investor that I had met and kind of built a relationship with in a local real estate meetup. And I said, Hey man, you know, you're, you know, he was in his sixties. He was kind of like at that, like, I want to retire age. He was living on cash flow, but he had never done a cash out refi on these properties. And I said, what a great opportunity. Like, let's, if you'll do a cash out refi, I'll take out the money I have. I'll run the deal. I'll make sure the things are success, but let's go find the biggest thing that we can buy. And, you know, 
he just kind of think jokingly agreed to read in there, you know, originally. And then I came back, you know, I, I was like, well, oh, great. I got somebody on board. Like, he's how like, do I do this? You know, hundred percent in, let's see if this yeah. guy follows through with it too. Right. It's like, you know, well, and I didn't even, yeah. I mean, back then again, I was so zealous and so excited that somebody would actually like maybe do this with me that I didn't even think that he wouldn't, you know I mean? <laughs> I've learned now that a lot of people won't, or they say they will and something changes and then they don't do it. But I mean, no, he stood by, he did it. You know, that was the first thing before I even realized what a buying criteria was. I put together things that I had heard from other people say, like, you know, you want central heat and air, but if you can't get central heat and air, you know, you buy a through the wall unit, don't buy a place that has window units, do you know, don't buy flat roofs, buy this, buy you know, this age and look for these things and with this like the storm the the sewer pipes and all these different things that like I had never done due diligence, but I had heard other people talk about what they did when they went to these properties. So again, I was fumbling through this thing like. You know, I went down there with a notebook, ready to walk 50 units, make some notes, you know, figure out what the plan is. And so we, I did the HELOC. He did his cash out refi. We had enough money. I kind of figured out what my buy box was. And I took it to as many real estate offices as I could in my area. And in my area, just outside Columbus, Ohio, there aren't like actual brokerage offices where there's some that do commercial real estate, but they don't do apartments. And so anything in my local area, you were finding on the MLS or you were finding it through realtors. And so I just went, again, I typed it up formal, try to make it look as nice as I could. And I took that to these different real estate offices. And I just said, Hey, if you get somebody that's looking at selling something between this unit count and this unit count, call me. And it was not very long after that. I had a lady call me and she said, I got a guy that's looking to sell. It's 50 units. He's owned it for 15 years. He's looking to put his money into a different project. What do you think? And I was like, well, I kind of did some rudimentary research of the market. And I thought, man, it's not a metro city, but the 50% of the population were renters. And I looked at what he was getting for rents and I went to rentometer and I thought, you know, I plugged, you know, again, very basic zip code, two bedroom. What does this thing say? And I could get for rent. Oh, that looks great. That looks like a lot of upside, 200 bucks. And so I just based my pro forma. I mean, it's funny because I remember the bank asking me, well, do you have a pro forma on this? I had no idea what they were talking about, but <laughs> I had to go research. <laughs> well, that in fact, out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And quickly put together a spreadsheet and they're like, well, it's certainly more sophisticated than this, but we'll take it. I was like, sounds great. You know, but like I said, I think the bigger thing, the takeaway on that part is that I believed in myself. I bet on myself. I knew that I'd die before this thing was going to be a loser or I would lose, lose money on it. But I also signed on the debt. I had, you know, if it would have went bad, I would have went bankrupt. You know, I would have lost everything. And putting myself in that situation, I just was like, there was no option but to be successful. But it did. I mean, it required me to, I was there every day for a year. When I wasn't the firehouse, I was there. So I would work a 24 hour shift. I get off in the morning, I go to the property and I'd work on the property. I realized quickly after we bought it that when you buy a C-class property that's kind of like the Wild West and you start implementing a true management plan with you know, direct oversight, a lot of those tenants don't like that and they leave. <laughs> and so we went from about 95, 96% occupied to 72 in about two weeks. And when the first round of money came in, my first payout, I'm expecting to get X and they gave me Y and I'm like, what in the heck is happening? It barely cash flow enough to pay the debt service, to pay the insurance, like the bills. And now we have 20 units open or whatever. I think it was like 12. We had that huge upswing in vacancy. And I'm like, instantly knew that I was a bit off more than I could chew. Like I can't do all the work myself. And so I called a friend who was in Cleveland. He was a firefighter that had left the fire service because of his investing portfolio of buying apartments. And I called him. I'm like, Jack, what do I do? Like, I don't have no idea what I should be doing right now. And he's like, well, 
you are undercapitalized. I only have $50,000 in the bank, which was clearly not enough because I thought I'd renovate off of cash flow. And then you're not big enough. Like you've got 12 units that are vacant and you're going to do what one a month. Like this is going to be a loser very quickly if you don't figure it out. So I took some of the advice he gave me and hired some contractors and kind of created a crew of guys that between the six of us, we renovated 42 units in a year. And then that's big. Where did you get the capital? So that was the other thing was he was like, you got to raise money. And I'm like, okay, I, I like, again, this was not a syndication. It was a joint venture. I, at the time was not very familiar with 506B syndications. I think I was like, you know, I was probably like on YouTube trying to figure out what that even meant back then. And he was like, you got to raise capital. I'm like, well, how do I do that? And he said, you just got to, you know, do you have any friends or family or people that would trust you to invest with you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let's find out. So I, you know, again, <laughs> you know, that's why I say I don't advise everybody going out and doing this, but you know, I was able to go around to about five different people and borrow money from them. They lent to me directly. They didn't take any equity. It was just a balloon note, personal loan oh, wow. based on my integrity and just them knowing me and for whatever reason, trusting me. And they lent me the money and I raised about $200,000. So, I mean, you know, again, so I had about $250,000 to work with, but you know, I did a lot of sweat equity on that property along with these other guys that were, I was paying, but I got paid nothing. And it was great, but I just believed in the fact that like, if I could, I always remember telling my wife that if I could make this, if this was a successful deal, this is going to be life-changing, like debt-free money in the bank. Like we could do this again afterwards if it's executed correctly. And that's what happened. I mean, we, in 14 months, we pulled out a million cash tax-free, paid everybody back. And then the money that we had left over, we went and bought another one. And that's that awesome. was kind of the start of you know, how we grew to where we're at now. Tell us a little bit like how you got into syndication. It sounds like this one was kind of a joint venture and some additional capital, but like at what point did you start doing syndication or or getting into that? Yeah. So it was probably 2015. We were into our second deal at that time. And I'm like, man, I just, I really could see the explosiveness of doing this. I wanted to have as many buckets generating revenue for me, whether it was equity, whether it was cash flow, whatever that looked like just really trying to create wealth. And it went from me just kind of having a side hustle to, I thought, man, this is a bit like I could really make something of this and not just be a business, but also like it could be life-changing and like legacy changing stuff happening here. And in the second deal, I'm like, man, I don't have any money between the first deal and this deal. My money's tied up. If I want to keep doing this, how do I do that? And so I paid to get around some syndicators that were doing bigger, way bigger deals than I was doing and really just kind of like learned from them, gleaned a ton of experience and knowledge off of them. And then I just started strategically partnering with people. I did two deals shortly thereafter my second one that got me into some bigger ones. And then I met my partner, Tim, who was also a firefighter. And and that's who's in the stream group with me now. And, you know, his expertise and experience partnered with mine just was like gasoline on a fire. And so we grew really fast after that. And, you know, like I said, strategic partnerships have been really great for us getting in on deals where maybe the KP or we're you know, with a construction group or with a management group or we're, you know, whatever involved in it on the GP side. And it's helped us to get bigger. And and, I mean, as you guys know, as you start to kind of scale and you kind of get some lift underneath your wings, when you're trying to get into real estate investing, things happen easier, they happen faster, but that initial like getting off the ground is really tough. Well, I mean, there's some aspect of like, you kind of got to prove yourself. Like you definitely cut your teeth on this 50 unit one and it's like, all right, well, the proof is in the pudding. And then after that, like you've got this kind of track record. And so 
So you said you paid to get on, like, did you do some mentorship with syndicators or did you invest as an LP? Like kind of what? No. So I was basically a paid mentorship. I was, and it wasn't like anything big or advertised. It was more of like, you know, like I talked about Jack in Cleveland. I paid him for some of his time to just kind of like, let me come up there, see his properties, walk through some of his stuff, kind of be a open phone call when I needed something, you know, and then I was just, you know, just learning, figuring out how to do all this. I got around one of the other guys that's a partner with us now on pretty much all of our deals. He's out of Utah. He's got a massive portfolio, you know, learning from him back then when we were kind of just, you know, kind of started off as like a mentor mentee thing. And then it just, it grew into a friendship and then into a partnership that we've done some deals with on a bigger scale. But, you know, I knew I had to get in the same room with people that were doing bigger things and that had already kind of could be my training wheels. And that accelerated our growth exponentially. So rather than me have to go to like a third deal and keep trying to figure this out, I thought, well, let me just cut to the front of the line, pay the right people for their time and learn what they know and learn what their mistakes they've made and how they've done things. And, you know, it's all stuff that I do now for other people as well. And it helped us grow exponentially. So, I mean, it was definitely worth the money. So Seth, I mean, starting out with a 50 unit deal and then taking this next step, like it seems like you have a pretty, I guess, effective like mindset or frame of mind to just like maximize your progress or just like fast forward or accelerate it. I mean, had you started with a single family home spending, you know, that first 14 months, like where do you think you would have been if instead of choosing a 50 unit, you chose, you know, to flip a house? Yeah. I mean, two things would have happened. I either bought the wrong house in the wrong area or, you know, and lost it and be still a fireman, but in a lot of debt or bankrupt. Or, you know, I probably would have stayed in my comfort zone, which is what I find a lot of people when they get into house flipping or whatnot, you know, they kind of get that dialed in and then they don't want to like the guy that mentored me that I worked with for a year who was flipping houses and had a small rental portfolio. He's still in the same spot that he was when I was with him all those years ago. And I tried to get him to get into bigger deals. I tried to get him to get into apartments. I tried to get him to understand that, you know, flipping houses is a job. The money you make on flipping houses is earned income. You're getting nailed by taxes immediately once you sell. You know, there's so many more benefits to commercial real estate that people don't even realize. And everybody thinks that you have to wholesale, then flip. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, I should buy and hold. And then they do that for a while. And, you know, 10 years goes by. And then you finally think I haven't, you're confident enough that you could get into commercial multifamily or any kind of commercial real estate. And to me, I just saw what other people were doing through podcasts and different things I was listening to and how they were growing their wealth exponentially. And I, you know, like I said, it was, I knew my why, why I was trying to get into it. And I knew where I wanted to go. And those were two very clear things to me. And I just always kept that in my focus, which for me was my family. You know, I wanted more time. I missed a lot of birthdays, a lot of holidays, a lot of times with my kids a lot of first steps, first Christmases, all that stuff because I was working and I've kind of vowed that I would never do that or or I would try to work as hard as I could to get away from that. And so, you know, yeah, I worked five times as hard in the beginning, but now it's, you know, I've been able to get my time back, which was the goal and continues to be the goal. Well, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Go ahead, AJ. Oh, I was going to say you brought on a partner in the stream group and whatnot. I mean, can you kind of give us a little bit of overview of like where you've come from those five years or because you said you were like in 2016, 2017. Yeah, I think I would say 2015 was probably like our, was the start of the syndication process for us or kind of like looking into that more. 
Yeah. So, you know, again, I was in my second deal, realized that my capital is tied up. I wanted to keep growing. You know, there was things that I started realizing that were not, that I wasn't the best at, right? I mean, underwriting, I'm good at. I prefer the speed my brain works on is back of the napkin stuff. We defined roles. I started kind of figuring things out that I liked doing, things I didn't like doing. When I met Tim, we actually met, he's a firefighter here in central Ohio as well. He was a lieutenant. I was a lieutenant. We'd been on the same fire scenes together, but we never knew that we both were into real estate. He had been into real estate, but he had been more on the brokering side. He had done a lot of house hacking. He didn't know that's what he was doing back then, but he would, you know, his family would buy a house. They'd live in it. They'd renovate it a little by little. They'd live in it for two years. They'd sell it, take the profits, buy another one. And that's what they were doing. And when we met, I mean, he's like one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. And he filled a lot of voids that I had where, you know, I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I want to fall asleep when I start looking into those things. Like, so I can underwrite and I know what I'm looking at. And the way we have it set up now is, you know, we always joke that I catch him and he cleans them where, you know, I talk with the brokers. I look in the markets. I find the original deals. I do the, you know, they pencil on the back of a napkin or in a short form, kind of like, yeah, this is going to work for us. Then I send it to him and then he digs in. And, and even now we have another guy that it goes to, that kind of eliminates some of the initial work for him. But the partnering for me was a lot of people are scared to partner, but I always looked at it as like, if it's with the right person, I can go faster sooner than I would if I was by myself. And, you know, him and I identified early on that I had weaknesses where he had strengths and I had strengths where he had weaknesses. That was number one. And I think number two for us was that, you know, ethically we were in line the way that we conducted business with our integrity, we were in line. Like we just had a lot of things that a lot of synergy and, you know, we both, our families were, got along. Like it was just, it was really kind of a cool thing. And coming from the fire service, you know, it's very like, everybody talks about being like brotherhood oriented and it's not always like that. It's not like what you see on TV, but with him and I, that's kind of how it was. And it was just great. So like I said, once we got together, you know, when my holes were plugged and so were his, it was to the moon. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, we went to, now we've got 700, just under 700 doors in central Ohio. And we're a GP, I don't know, just about 1200. 1150 other doors within the country. And those doors, we don't like run the day-to-day necessarily on, but we've either KP'd and signed on the debt. We've taken some GP as an advisor role or helping people kind of work through their first deal or whatever that is. It's all kind of deal dependent, but without strategic partnerships, you know, I would still be probably, you know, on my third, fourth deal by now, you know, it would have just been a lot slower. So can you dive a little bit more into the you know, how those strategic partnerships came about and I guess how you manifested them. Yeah. So Tim was obviously local. I kind of talked about him. Some of the other ones of the the original ones, there's a group out of Utah that was wanting to get into Columbus. I met one of the GPs through networking, just social media networking. He was in a group and he was like, Hey, um, we're looking in the Columbus, Ohio market. We're looking for some co-GPs or people that are, are there kind of already doing it let's connect. And so we just connected and we started talking and we got along really well. And he had a small team that he was already working with. They had had a little bit of traction, but hadn't really done anything real big. And so that was the, you know, that relationship got me into a 70 unit as the prime as one of the primary GPs. And it got me into 180 unit. And those two deals right there alone got me more experienced capital raising. It got us big enough now where we could start a management company. So Tim and I decided Again, you don't know what you don't know. I thought it was going to be smart to be like, hey, we got this 180 unit complex and they've got a great staff. Normally I'd fire everybody because they're part of the problem, but these guys are great and they have a lot of experience. Why don't we buy, when we buy this, why don't we manage it? 
And then, you know, not only that, let's manage all the other stuff that I have and let's take it back from these third-party people that were doing so-so, you know, and I'm like, let's go full steam ahead to a management company. And, you know, it, it took a long time for us to get the right people in the right roles for that to be not in a 12 hour job day or 12 hours a day job creating that. And then again, you know, that was the original two. And then it got us more credibility. The other, if you look on our website, it's myself, Tim Shaw, Tim Watke. I met Tim Watke through those Utah investors. And we just really built a great friendship. And again, like a brotherhood, the three of us have done, you know, probably 60 million in real estate together. And, you know, Tim Watke was great for Tim Shaw and I, because we were operators, we were doing well, but his balance sheet was way bigger than ours. He had a massive portfolio of renovated units, ground up stuff. He'd been in the industry for 20 years, but he had only been in Utah. And so he really wanted to kind of get out, but he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know who to do it with. And so through that relationship that I built with somebody I met on social media, it got me in the room with him. And then we really just hit it off. And, you know, through the three of us now, I mean, we've done probably another eight deals together, built this pretty big company. It's allowed us to, again, to build out because of the way we scaled, we were able to build a management company that has about 24 employees right now. We hired an asset manager. We've got a construction manager. Because of the size that we were getting, we were starting to have issues with contractors and having good people do the work, having good people show up, having good people show, you know, we'd have people show up, but then their work was terrible. A lot of things that just continued to be a headache. So again, we thought, well, why don't we just become a construction company as well and bring this in-house? And so, you know, we talked to a lot of other guys that were doing, you know, in the country that were doing what we were doing and they were bigger than us. They waited until they got to about a thousand doors before they started thinking it made sense to bring this stuff in. But for us, we were like, how do we, especially talking to investors, like how do we normalize the expenses? You know, if I'm going to go to a property and do due diligence and I'm going to underwrite this thing and then we're going to put it into a pitch deck and I'm going to show it to an investor, how do I really know that my numbers are dialed in, that my CapEx is going to be what it is and my cost of, you know, my cost for 10,000 feet of LVP flooring is what it is or the, you know, the vanities or whatever the item is. Like, how do I really know that? And then we felt like the only way that we could really control that was to bring it in house. Again, when you do that, it's like a pain point, right? There's a lot of headache that go along with that. But once you can kind of get it figured out and dialed in to get the right people in place, again, the sky can be the limit. So that's what we've worked on since 2015 to now is building all that out. So, And then in, you know, today's current marketplace, what's your kind of plan moving forward? We're still in full buy mode. We're just more picky on what we're buying. You know, we're, we're not necessarily getting the stuff that requires a super heavy lift because we don't want to be exposed to all the risk while we're doing it. We're trying to find stuff that maybe has a little bit more of a management play, but you know, we're, yeah, I mean, we're just looking for deals. We have a huge ground up development going on in central Ohio. Uh, I think we're going to be all in for 70 million when it's like, that's the build out hard cost, but the way that with the studies that we've done, they think it'll be worth over hundred plus when we get done. So that's the next big project that we're taking on. But you know, it's again, like you asked me about strategic partnerships. So I know I'm kind of all over the place with it, but I can go back in my career as an investor. I've since lost the fire service, but every person there's been like, like, you know, like if you're plotting out a map, I could go like, and you see like intersections on your road or different rest stops, or whatever. Like I can look in my journey from when I started till today. And I can tell you exactly like what relationship led to this or, and then that person led to this person and that person led to these investors and these investors led to this group of people. And and you can trace it back. And I think that's really cool. So partnering with people, partnering with the right people, buying the right deals has been huge for us. And in the current market, I mean, we're not afraid to buy. 
we're still trying to buy right. We've changed our asset class a little bit that we're buying because we just don't want to get stuck holding the bag. If you know the interest rates have changed and they've gone up, the cap rates, I don't really feel like have Adjusted. expanded like I think that they will. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like you're some sellers are still holding on to it like it was a year ago and they still think they can get like a six cap for something that probably should be six and a half or seven. And, you know, just trying to get into the right deals, get into the right markets. And you know, that's kind of what our focus is. But, you know, being in Columbus, Ohio, we really don't have to go far because, I mean, some of the biggest stuff that's happening in the country is happening right here in our backyard. So we're excited about that. That's good. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. It sounds like, you know, that first one you said was a C class and I'm assuming you did some value add to make it a B class. I mean, the current market there, are you still kind of in that same class or are you buying more more like B minus and making it B plus? Yeah. So we're looking more now for like the B minus, you know, something that's in a, you know, maybe like I said, doesn't need, you know, we just looked at one that we may or may not do that. It's going to need a million in CapEx. I mean, a million doesn't, it sounds like a big number, but when you're talking the the inflated cost of construction and labor, a million dollars doesn't go far anymore. You know, so, I mean, it just depends, but yeah, that's what we're kind of looking for. Instead of like buying anything that makes sense, that has a huge, now that was one thing that I learned is that when we look at it on paper, the upside might be $5 million, but if it takes me 10,000 man hours to get to that $5 million and I break that down, what was my hourly rate actually worth? And it may not be worth it. So that's, you know, we're, we're looking at stuff now. Where it's like a little bit less of a headache. The upside might be less, but the headache to get to that upside or the risk is a lot less as well. So, you know, we're not buying a class or we're not buying something with a 4% return or anything like that, but we're weeding through a lot of bad deals or bad options to, to try to find some diamonds in the rough. So Seth, I'm going to jump back to the strategic partnerships. So, I mean, kind of from what I've heard you say is that you've been extremely successful like with these partnerships and it's been able to help you fast forward your career. What do you think is the reason why it's been so successful for you? You know, We've talked with multiple people who have really struggled in partnerships or chose the wrong partners. And, you know, what do you think has worked for you? No luck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can put my finger on any one thing. I mean, we've had plenty of partnerships go bad. For instance, we hired a contractor. We thought it was going to be great. We thought he was going to be a great kind of like partner to help us build out the construction piece. And he completely imploded. We lost a bunch of money with him. And then we had another, we went from him to like a class A construction guy who, man, had the beautiful office, beautiful vehicles. I mean, just looked great. And he ended up couldn't perform either. And we lost about $60,000 of that guy who basically embezzled it and then went bankrupt. So, you know, it's not always partnerships that are great, but as far as I think it, for me, it's like, you know, guys that have a track record, it's getting to know people. My partner, one of the sayings he will say is we got to date somebody before we get married because I can be fast. Like this guy's awesome. Like, let's do this. Or this probably looks great. Like, you know, I get excited about things and, and I'm always pushing and I'm always, you know, looking at the glass half full 
And he's not looking at it half empty, but that's again, part of my strength, but also weakness where he likes to pull me back and be like, hold on a second. Like before we just go charging in there and thinking it's great or that this version's great, like let's really kind of do some due diligence. Let's do some, you know, investigating. Let's really kind of look and see who they are. And, you know, some of the folks that you've talked to before that ran into some problems, maybe had they done that, not just taking somebody at their word, that it could have been avoided. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's hard to know, right? You go to like a conference, let's say, and you meet somebody and you think, man, this guy's great. And you get excited because you just met somebody and you're thinking, man, I could really move forward. And, you know, and you give them the benefit of the doubt, but you never actually do any research. And then you come to find out that that guy's got, had two or three partners that he's screwed out of money or he hasn't paid back or they've had really, you know, bad things come up. And had you just looked at, like for us, we look at the clerk of courts and you can see if there's any pending litigation or if there's ever been anything that's filed against them. You know, we've had a couple of people like that where we, I mean, they sounded great. They knew what to say. They knew how to act. And then we go kind of do some research and some kind of background checking on them and find out that, you know, we're fourth in line to get hosed by them. And that's helped, you know, so some of those things, I mean, and then, like I said, it's just kind of like, like Tim Wacky, for instance, you know, we were, I was on the phone with him through other deals for almost a year before we said, Hey, why don't you come on board? And like, really like, let's see where we can take this thing. You know, like, let's not limit ourselves or put a glass ceiling on it. Like if we think we can get to a billion dollars, like let's go. And he's been great. You know, and again, it's, the thing I love about apartment syndications is it can be a deal by deal basis. So if you get into a deal with a group and you're kind of co-GPing with them and you find out two years in or a year in or two days after you close that they're not holding up their end of the bargain or they're not what they thought, you know, you thought they were, you learn and then you don't do another deal with them. You know, I think the most impactful ones are the ones that you're actually bringing in, giving them equity ownership in your LLC. You know, those are like real ingrained business partners. And those ones, I think you really need to know for a long time or vet or, you know, be more leery of, but. Yeah. So uh, the concept of dating before you you get married a little bit, right? (laughs) Like, yeah. Draw, draw out that period of, you know, after there's been a significant amount of performance and it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yep. Yep. And like I said, that really good contractor, we got burned. I thought he was great. You know, and all the things he presented to us were phenomenal. And I pushed for us to get in a contract with him and we did. And then when we, he was in it for about three months and then just dropped off and yeah. he wasn't getting units turned nearly as fast as he said he would. And then all kinds of things. And then he wanted to hold us to this contract and threatening to sue, you know, it just became really messy. And so again, for me, a life lesson is, you know, I was very diligent on like a partner that I was going to give equity to like Tim and I, but like a guy like that, I, you know, Oh, I could, you know, again, as much as I'm like, oh, we can trust him. Like, look at all these cool, you know, TV screens he's got all over the place and all this data he's showing <laughs> us. And he's got a staff of like 30 people in here. And man, they're just crushing it and all these different things. And and then it just ended up being a farce, you know, in the end. Yeah. So I guess the other piece that I'm kind of like seeing, you know, is that you've been able to develop strategic partnerships with partners that are like way ahead of you, like with the, is it Tim from Utah, you know, had a huge portfolio and are able to kind of create those relationships that actually like fast forward you as well. How do you think that you've been able to develop those and like what, I mean, that seems like a really significant like piece of your success and your strategy. I mean, it's definitely helped. And I think that like for us is, 
we're just real, like we're real operators. We're real guys doing it. We're not going out and putting stuff under contract and then closing and then giving it to a third-party management company and not really knowing how to do it. I mean, you know, we just, we've been in the trenches and I think he saw that and respected that and gets that. And, you know, he had not syndicated anything when I met him. So a lot of his wealth was created through appreciation of that market. He bought a lot of stuff a long time ago, built a lot of stuff that really helped push him to a level where I was jokingly telling him he's the king of the mountain, but he wanted to get out of his local area, continue to create wealth, but he really didn't know like how to do it, who to do it with, you know, and I don't know. I mean, we just, I think that he saw that in us, you know, we'll give him the news straight the way it is, whether he wants to hear it or not. And I think he respected that, you know, and there's deals that we looked at where he was like, man, this looks great. And then we would really dig in and find problems with it or, you know, cause I think that just the way we operate, he, I don't know. And that's all I can say, you know, <laughs> is that that's how we operate. And that's how I think that he really liked that. And he felt like he could trust it. And what we're two years into multiple deals together and, you know, we're going out there, he's coming to my house, you know, we're going out to Utah to do some investor relations and meet with some folks and, you know, we'll do stuff with him when we're there and, and be all together. And I don't know. I mean, you just, you meet people in life that are, you just click with and it just works. So like I said, probably, you know, lucky, blessed. I don't know, you know, what the, beyond the other things. I'm going to kind of change gears here. I mean, it sounds like you've kind of created alternate streams of income with these, you know, creating the property management and the construction, like, and it sounds like you went from no employees to quite a few employees, like fairly quickly. Like how has that kind of like learning curve been? And like, what have you done to really kind of maximize or optimize it? It's been a challenge. I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? Like I never got into real estate investing thinking I'd be an employer. Again, I think that the book, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan really changed my life. I found that book in my first property. And I think for us, the biggest thing is bringing in the right professionals to help us figure it out, right? We have a great accounting team and we just brought in an HR group that we spent a bunch of money on to come in to interview all of our employees to find out what they do, how they do it, how much time they spend on it, like all these things. And then really help us build out an org chart and say, look, this is where your holes are and then help us fill them. You know, I mean, I think that I really believe in finding somebody that's doing, you know, whatever my problem is, rather than me try to figure it out, I just, I'll hire the right professional to come in and, and help us figure it out. And we figure it out a lot faster then we can get back on track. So like I said, for us hiring an asset manager, we placed them through the HR company. We just hired another property manager. Some of the other people that we've hired have been, you know, they've kind of been gone through those folks and they really helped bring structure to what we were doing because for a long time in the beginning, it was Tim and I were working 12 hour days. You know, I wasn't on a property anymore, but I was behind a computer, behind a spreadsheet. I was doing different things, trying to figure out like how do we keep this thing on the road, grow the portfolio, grow the company, but also do it to where we're still having money in the bank to pay people. And we were only, I think, able to do it because we brought in the right professionals to kind of help guide us. Because again, I will pay the right person, whatever they want, if they get me to the result that I need. And, you know, I think that that's where we've been successful is just bringing in the right folks to the who's for our how, you know, rather than me try to figure out how to do it. I just hire the right person to show me how, and they basically do it for me. So that's the employee side, right? I didn't know anything about BWC insurance and benefits and PTO. And I had no idea, but we went to a great accounting team that does our payroll, the HR group. We brought in great attorneys that do HR and all those things. And 
like the asset manager, for instance, that we just hired, he's exited successfully two property management companies. So as we want to continue to scale our property management company, we want to start offering third-party management to investors because we're, you know, it's ran by investors for investors is the way I look at it. You buy a value add property, most management companies don't know how to take it from that B minus to B plus or that C plus to B. They don't know how to do that. And that's what we specialize in because that's what we do on our own stuff. And so you know, how do we get there? So that's why part of why we hired this gentleman was because he's grown two management companies from nothing to very large and then exited them. And so that's, again, I don't know how to that do that. sounds you know, like I, the right I could move. figure it out, but I don't want to. <laughs> well, it also yeah. sounds, I mean, like just hearing the story from your first deal to kind of where you are now is like, you know, if you're able to commit to something, like you've got that mindset that like, no matter what happens, like I'm going to make this work. I think in the industry, they call it grit or some other things. I mean, my brother and I have definitely jumped into some stuff and it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. Like we're going to make it work. That seems to have resonated throughout like what you've been saying throughout today, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I heard something recently. I probably will get it wrong if you guys have heard it before, but there's like five, I think it's five cycles of like entrepreneurship where like you get all excited about the opportunity and then you move forward. Then you, you realize that it's a lot more work than you wanted to do or that you, you know, you had no idea what you're kind of getting into. And then you, like a lot of people give up in that stage three where like you, you know, you got to grind it out. You got to dig in. You got to, you know, like you said, you got to have grit. You've got to just you know, put your head down and work and figure out a way, be resourceful to get to the other side. And then they said stage four was like, kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel where like you kind of start getting that wind behind your sails and you're like, man, you can really kind of see the vision starting to kind of take place and and kind of come, you know, you're kind of coming out of the darkness and then stage five is enjoying it. And I heard some, I don't remember what video I was watching or I heard was hearing, listening to podcasts or hearing somebody talk about it, but they explained that. And the way they said it, I'm like, man, that just resonates with me you know, that, on every aspect, right? Because it was, whether it's, you're getting into investing, you do a management company, you start doing construction, like it all sounds great. It all sounds great on paper. And then you actually have to get into it and rubber meets the road kind of situation. And it can be a lot harder than you thought it would be. And, and a lot of people give up in that, you know, if they just held out, another three months or six months, you know, where would they be at? And I think that that's, you know, for us, there's just no going back. I mean, I've left the fire service. I left a 22 year career before my pension, before I was fully pensionable. I'm too old to get hired anywhere in Ohio. And, you know, it doesn't transfer between states. So I can't go to Indiana or Kentucky or Florida or whatever and go back there and work because my licensing and certificates I have are only good for Ohio. And now in the state, 95% of departments I'm too old for. So when I left, I left. And yeah. I think that really put some fire in you too, that, you know, you have no other plan B, you got to succeed. We were chatting with Whitney Sewell the other day and he had a moment like that. And it was, he said, yep, we sold our farm and, you know, it went full time into real estate investment. And it's just like, whoa, you sold the farm, you know? And AJ mentioned like, I think when, I want to say it was when either the pilgrims came or, but they burned their ships. There was no sailing back. Like they were going to make it work. And the other thing that came up when you were chatting about that is our dad has a saying and he says, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And, you know, going through those stages of, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then, oh my gosh, this is going to be really hard. And then it is really hard. 
for, you know, that entire stage three. And then finally, after you like do enough of the work to get it to be where like, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. It's so funny. I mean, almost for us, almost every single project is like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. yes, let's buy this property. Oh my gosh. There's so (laughs) much more stuff than I originally, you know, like this is taking way longer. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and then it's like, finally it's cash flowing. So. Yeah. And that's a lot of the stuff that people don't talk about. I mean, you know, a lot of people want to talk about how to buy the deals, find the deals, like all the fun stuff. And that's exciting. The thrill. But then once you get done and you got to talk about the real work, it's just not sexy as it has somebody, the way they explain Mm -hmm. it to me, they're like, nobody really wants to hear about that. I'm like, but that's what you got to talk about because that's where the deal falls apart. You know, I did a thing the other day with somebody where I was talking about how, you know, most investors that invest with us are people that know us or have known us or know of us word of mouth. And like, they'll tell us like, Hey, the deal sounds great. That apartment complex looks awesome, but I'm investing with you guys because of your track record and your experience, you know, so-and-so invested with you, you know, they had a great experience and I really like that. And that's why they're investing, you know, like the return is cool. But again, if you put your money in with a group and they don't really have a solid plan. And, and again, if they don't, you know, for us, we're always like, what's plan A? Great. What's B, C, and D. And we get that, I think from the fire service, because you know, we had to have six plans on every run. You know, when we went out the door in a fire truck and you go to whatever the situation is, you better know four different ways on how to fix it or mitigate the issue. And that's kind of how we look at this is having multiple plans and, and being able to pivot and like I said, be resourceful. So, but it's tough. I mean, every deal is different. I don't think we've bought a deal yet where we closed and then we just threw it into neutral and coasted down the hill and this is great. And then we, you know, get to the end and we're like, everything was perfect. We haven't. If there's people out there doing it, I want to know what you're doing, you know, but you know, that's really it is. I think all those the, new developers, they just hire the contractor, magically have the project delivered on time under budget and, you know, with no work and then it leases up immediately and they sell it for a boatload of money. Yeah. We'll see. That's why we were like, when we had this opportunity to come up to develop, we're like, man, that sounds great. Like, 20 minutes from the Intel site. <laughs> we got it before, you know, that was off market pocket listing from a broker. We know I was like, man, it's right by my house. So I'm like, this would be great. It'll allow us to scale and hire more people. And we'll see. I mean, you know, again, in that situation though, at least you can bring in real companies that have, you know, I mean, they're professional companies, but yeah, still you have to manage the budget. Yeah. There, I mean, there's been so much work going into that. We got that in contract at the end of I want to say maybe the beginning of this year. And I mean, we're still we're, working on the budgets. We're deep in it. Yeah. We just had a big engineering meeting yesterday and the construction company came back to us with an initial budget and their, their ground, just the development of moving dirt part of it was double what we originally had projected. And we're like, man, that's no fun. Like, how do we figure this out? You know? And so it's a lot of, it's still a lot of brain work, but you're just not dealing with the Craigslist contractors or, yeah, you know, some of that kind of stuff, but it's, you know, I don't know. I said, I think it's going to be great for us and it'll be a definitely a pivotal development in the, you know, in the next two or three years when we get start getting it done and leasing it up. And cause it's multifamily, it's condos, it's single family, it's a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, building is slowing down. I mean, at least single family home building with interest rates going up, new home starts are way down 
And so, you know, multifamily generally lags a little behind that, but I remember a time in 2000, like 10, 11, 12, where contractors were desperate to have projects to start. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no inflation, costs were really low. And so obviously I have no idea what's going to happen in the future, but is that something that is kind of in the back of your mind? Like I recently chatted with a developer who said, yeah, we're booking, you know, normally we're two years out to like build stuff, but we only have nine months of projects right now. So we're ready to start, you know, new projects here soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, at least for us, like developing has been, you know, I mean, I'm by no means a pro at it, right? This is this is 147 acres. It's 750 units altogether. Again, a mix of multifamily condo houses, but we're in the heartland of where Intel's building. They were originally doing a $20 billion investment. Now they're doing a hundred billion. You know, it's going to be five of these chip manufacturing plants in Licking County, which is where I live. Our site is 20 minutes from that. They're going to have what 3,500 jobs projected right now, which now with five plants will be over, it will be what it's 16,000 jobs just at the factories not to include all the construction companies, you know, the, the original one plant they were going to do is they were saying was between seven to 10,000 construction jobs. And then all of the other businesses that have to pop up to supply them. There's already people moving here, like Bayer Paints moving their major manufacturer, their major facility in California out here, right by where, I mean, it's two minutes from our site. It's just the landscape of where I live right now is going to look nothing like it does in 10 years. It's booming. I mean, yeah, it's, and, it's and almost so like it's, a gold rush. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the land grab, for instance, on Licking County's auditor site, my partner were talking about this yesterday, the, the auditor has created a completely separate tab for land transfers and deals within Licking County because it's such a land grab right now. People are just trying to buy land because, so that's what I mean. So where we're developing is different than probably anywhere else in the country. Like I would yeah. not want to go and bite, cut my teeth on a development like in Georgia or South Carolina or, you know, Sarasota, Florida, or we've looked in Jacksonville, like I would be way more nervous about that. And I'm not saying I'm not nervous about this. I mean, obviously if those things aren't kind of entering your mind, you would be foolish. But I think that for us, the amount of people that are going to be coming here, the amount of shortage that we already have in central Ohio and the Columbus area is tremendous. It was already that way before this development. And if you just look at where their other plant is at in the country, I believe it's New Mexico. If you look at where that plant was built like 20 years ago and what that one plant did to that area, I mean, it, changed it completely. They're going to do five. I mean, I don't even think that I probably have any idea what this is really going to look like when it's all said and done. But, you know, it's when the Congress passed the CHIPS bill, it was huge. It was already the biggest project that the state of Ohio had ever done was the $20 billion one. And this is now when the federal government got behind it and said, yeah, we're going to give you the money to do the four other ones. It's the largest project that I've ever even heard of being done in in Ohio and, and many other states, if not the country. So, you know, that's what we're like, yeah, for us, that's why it's exciting. Right. And that's why for us too, we're like, we don't really need to venture out into a ton of other markets because if we can keep buying here locally, we can go deep local versus spreading out all over the place. And 10 years from now, hopefully some of this C-class tertiary and secondary market stuff I've bought will be worth, you know, a lot more and, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very exciting. 
Well, I think it's getting to be about that time. We're going to jump into our last four questions. AJ, you want to start us off? Sure. First one is, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? I would get into real estate sooner. You know, I'd say that or get a mentor. I didn't really, I had one person around me when I was 25 that was doing rentals and I didn't care enough to even really understand. And I wish I would have, if I could go back, I would have said, you know, do whatever you have to, to get in that guy's ear and, and learn from what he's doing. So that's probably what, if I could go back, would be getting a real estate sooner and get a mentor. Yeah. Awesome advice. Okay. What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Hmm. I would say I was always kind of entrepreneurial in spirit. Like, and I didn't realize it. I was doing stuff when I was a kid, you know, and I was doing stuff in high school, but really, the, I mean, I would say the first big one that I did was by myself was the first rental property. That first 50 unit was the first biggest yeah. thing. Cause like I said, I got, I went into the fire service and, you know, most guys, you know, you're just mentally and trained to never leave, you know, good job, good benefits, pay every two weeks, you get raises, you got a good schedule like most guys, they would never think to leave. And so I kind of, you know, I would say I coasted for quite a while until my life started getting harder to where I had to start looking for something else. Yeah. Very cool. The next question is how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? That's a great one. So my formal training has helped me build and has aided me building this business and this company, both Tim and I coming from the fire service, we structure all of our you know, we have SOPs, we have a chain of command, we have, you know, we call it what in the fire service called officer meetings, but we have meetings every month with our management staff or, or bi-weekly or whatever we need to do. Like we run it like a firehouse and we run it that way because that's all we've ever known, right? It was paramilitary. It works. We were under that command structure in life and death situations, high stress, you know, all kinds of craziness. So that has really helped me build the business and then informal I think that I never would have got into my first deal had I not worked for Steve for a year doing his project management and portfolio rentaling or portfolio leasing and managing. So, you know, I didn't pay for that. I think that that's the thing is like, you know, trial by fire. I learned a ton. That would be what I would consider informal. Um, I took that informal, put it on paper. Now I had a resume experience. That's how I got my first loan. So pretty, yeah. pretty big. Cool. Okay. Our final question. What was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? <laughs> I would say the biggest mistake that I did was I, when I went into that first deal, I went in, I didn't know what I didn't know. What I didn't know also was, was to ask, right? I didn't have anybody around me. So I think that if I could go back again and do that over would be like, find somebody doing that already. And I, and sometimes it can be hard, but you know, whether you're getting mentored by somebody locally or, or, that's in your area or it's like your podcast or it's something else like having somebody that can kind of be your training wheels or can kind of help you because I had Jack, for instance, that I called probably four times in that year, but had I not had him, I would not have known what to do. I wouldn't have recognized that I was undercapitalized. I would not have recognized that I needed to go out and raise other you know, private money. I would not have recognized that, you know, just these different things. And I think that that's the, you know, that was my biggest mistake was that I, you know, I didn't realize I was even making a mistake at the time, right? You know, you just don't know what you don't know. I think like recognizing that it's the same thing when somebody flips a house for the first time, they see it on TV, they hear about it, they go buy a house, this sounds great. And then they bought on the wrong side of the street or the one neighbor, one block over from that hot neighborhood. 
or they over renovate it and they put in 50,000 when they really should put in 25,000 and now they can't sell it. I mean, you know, all of those things can be avoided with being around the right people. So that's probably the, you know, it didn't cost me a ton, but luckily, you know, that's probably the biggest mistake that I made was not looking harder for that right person. Awesome. Well, Seth, 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 it's been great having you on the show. If our listeners or audience wants to get in touch with you or reach out, what's a good medium or how should they do that? Yeah. So I'm on all social media. They can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, we're on TikTok putting out content. And then we have, they can come through the fire, the stream groups website. And then we also have firehouse bros. The firehousebros.com is our education website where we help other people kind of do what we did. They can reach me through that website as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yeah, thank this is you. a wealth of knowledge and, you know, I appreciate your viewpoints on a lot of the stuff. So yeah, absolutely. I appreciate uh, you guys having fun. me on. Give me the opportunity. Very exciting. Well, we look forward to connecting with you again and thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Hopefully that was what you guys were looking for. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.